Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Wolf's Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Baden Ronnie, aka Wolf of WolfsGamingBlog.com, home of the very best written reviews in the entire galaxy. Bit of a packed podcast this week, there's plenty to talk about, including how I bought a Nintendo Switch, Sony seemingly backtracking on their promises of believing in generations, Horizon gameplay, uh, Sonic Anniversary just happened, New graphics cards are coming out, Borderlands 3 crossplay isn't happening on PlayStation anyway, and a whole bunch more. So stick with me for all that. If you fancy supporting me or what I'm doing, you can head over to wolfsgamingblog.com and hit the button that says support the site, where you can donate once, weekly, monthly, or yearly if you prefer. Every little bit really does help. So first things first, I bought a Nintendo Switch. I'm not denying that I am going to be playing it quite a lot, but... Primarily, I did buy it for my two nieces, who are, as I mentioned before, 7 and 12. As we all know, Nintendo is the home of multiplayer games, specifically local multiplayer games. It's literally just my first day with the new console. I previously did it on a Switch Lite, but I wasn't playing it enough to make use of it, so I sold it on. So it's technically my second Switch. I've mostly been playing Mario Kart 8 with my older niece, and it's been such a blast. I've made fun of Mario Kart 8 loads of times about how it seems to constantly just sell copy after copy after copy. It's always in the charts, seemingly. But, you know, once you actually start playing it, you can see why it's so beloved. It's just, it's such a fun game. You know, anyone can play Mario Kart 8 and have a good time, I think, playing it. I had my niece giggling. I was laughing because we were throwing shells at each other. We were slamming at each other. Ah, it's just a really fun game to play. I'm so glad I bought a Switch. To be honest, Mario Kart 8, I think, is going to be worth it on its own. But I did get a couple other cool games to go with it. I've got Mario Maker 2. I'm really excited to build some courses. I really want to show my uh, my seven-year-old niece how to use that game because I think she's going to come up with some really wacky stuff if her Minecraft houses or anything to go by. I bought uh, Luigi's Mansion 3, which I loved on the Switch Lite. I gave that an amazing review back when I played that. I bought that because the co-op is a lot of fun. So again, hoping to teach both my nieces how to play that one. I got the uh, the Super Mario 3D World with the new Bowser's Fury add-on as well. That looks really cool. Uh, I got the Spiral Reignited Trilogy because I think my littlest niece could play that and have a great time with it. But I'd love to hear some recommendations from you guys. Obviously, I know some of the big ones I want to play, and that is obviously Breath of the Wild, uh, Mario Odyssey, stuff like that, uh, Smash Bros. But I'd love some other cool suggestions from you guys. What should I play on the Switch? Apart from that, this is my first time with a full Nintendo Switch console. And I really do love the unique design of it. Being able to just slot it in and play on a big TV and then pull it out and go handheld. That feels great. I'm actually thinking about getting a second dock down the line so that I can just uh, dock it to my bigger TV upstairs. Uh, the Joy-Cons are quite cool, although a lot smaller than I imagined in my head for some reason. I pulled them out of the box and I was, I was sitting with them in my quite small hands. I don't have big hands. I was sitting with them thinking, these are these are tiny, man. <laughs> so uh, I did pick up a really cheap uh, Power A wired controller, which has to be the lightest controller I've ever held on my hands. It feels cheap. It's only 20 UK pounds. Uh, but it's doing the job for two players at the moment until I can uh, get a pro controller, I guess. Probably what I'm going to go for. Of course, I bought my Nintendo Switch, literally as rumours of a Nintendo Switch Pro version have been ramping up again. These rumours of a Pro version have been around almost since the Nintendo Switch launched. Uh, but the rumours seem to be powering back up again, 
And there seems to be lots of evidence that we might actually have a new Switch out in September, October, and it might even be revealed before E3 begins. The rumors seem pretty pretty solid. We've seen some uh, listings accidentally advertised and pooled. Uh, Bloomberg have been putting out articles saying that they know roughly what it's going to be capable of, including 4K output when docked. And I think it is really time for a new Switch version. Mostly because I think if Nintendo want to keep multi-platform games coming to their platform, they need to up the hardware at least a little. You know, with the new Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, games are becoming more demanding than ever and the Switch is struggling to run the bigger titles. And a lot of developers aren't going to be willing to spend that much time and effort trying to downgrade them to run on that console. So a pro version could help deal with that. It said that this new version will replace the existing one slowly. They'll phase out the two and it'll be sold alongside the light. But they are also saying it's going to be more expensive than the current Switch. So that could be a problem. And of course, you have the issue of the old people on the older Switch might not be able to play certain games. We don't know how they're going to work that yet. Are they going to promise everything is going to be compatible with the new version and the old? Or is it going to be separate games? Anyway, no matter what happens, I think if they don't call this thing the new Super Nintendo Switch, that's stupid. You have to call it the Super Nintendo Switch. I don't know what it is about that naming convention, but I love the fact that Nintendo just calls things Super Mario and Super This. I think it's so cool. It speaks to some childish little part of me that loves using the word Super wherever I can. So yeah, Super Nintendo Switch sounds awesome. Anyway. Let's jump into one of the big discussions of this week, which is that Sony are seemingly backtracking on their promise about believing in generations. Now, prior to the PlayStation 5's launch, Sony made a big deal about how they believed in generations of consoles, how they believed in making hardware that was a huge leap over what was available previously, and in making games that could take advantage of that hardware. This helped differentiate them from Microsoft, who went down the route of saying that their games would be compatible across all their consoles and they were planning on doing that for several years to sort of bridge the gap between the old generation and the new generation. That way, old gamers wouldn't get left behind. Sony went the complete opposite route and said, no, we're going to be making exclusives for the PS5, games you could only play on that console. And a lot of people, including myself, arguably bought the PlayStation 5 because of that idea. We wanted to play new games on new hardware that could only be done with that hardware. We've seen a couple of exclusives come out, obviously. Returnal, we're getting the new Ratchet & Clank next week. Arguably, Returnal was doable on the PlayStation 4, but Ratchet & Clank, with the way it's using its universes, can only really be done on the SSD, or the fast loading. However, it seems like Sony are backtracking on this now. Herman Hulse, which is the head honcho of Sony Studios, held a Q&A session on the Sony corporate blog. Now, he mentions a couple things we're going to go through. First of all, God of War, the new God of War, has been pushed back to 2022. Not a huge surprise. I think a lot of us expected that when they put out the teaser trailer. Teased a 2021 release date. Seems really optimistic. There's a couple of issues that have led to this, according to Herman. He mentions specifically that one of the bigger issues during this pandemic time has been capturing performances. He talks about basically having to build recording booths in people's houses so they could capture voiceover. I can imagine that must be really difficult. Herman says, quote, So we have, currently, two very big narrative-driven games in development, Horizon Forbidden West and the next God of War. And for both of those, they're frankly affected by access to performance capture and talent. For Horizon... 
we think we're on track to release this holiday season, but that isn't quite certain yet, and we're working as hard as we can to confirm that to you as soon as we can. And for God of War, that project started a little later, so we made a decision to push that game out to next year to ensure that Santa Monica Studio can deliver the amazing God of War game that we all want to play." End quote. So, in that quote, he raises some doubts about Horizon Forbidden West coming out this year. Again, I think quite a lot of us had suspicions that might be the case, but it's still, obviously, disappointing. And, of course, he reveals that God of War has been pushed back. One of the big reasons he seems to provide for this is the voice acting side of things. However, the next question reveals that there might be a little bit more to it. In this interview, it's asked where the current PlayStation 4 plans fit into everything else leading Herming to seemingly backtrack on all Sony's prior comments. Listen to this, quote, You can't build a community of over 110 million PS4 owners and then just walk away from it, right? I think that'd be bad news for fans of PlayStation 4, and frankly, not very good business. Where it makes sense to develop a title for both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, for Horizon Forbidden West, the next God of War, GT7, we'll continue looking at that. And if PS4 owners want to play that game, then they can. If they want to go on and play the PS5 version, the game will be there for them too. That being said, it's also very important to have showpieces for PS5, hence the development of Returnal and Ratchet that are exclusive to PS5. There's a couple of interesting little snippets in there I think we need to focus on. First, there's a little indication that Gran Turismo 7 will be a PlayStation 4 game too. Previously, it was very strongly hinted at that it was going to be a PlayStation 5 exclusive. They might have even outright come out and said it was. I can't honestly remember at this point. I want to say that from a business perspective, I do understand this. Due to constraints, the PlayStation 5 obviously can't sell as many consoles as it would probably have liked. It still sold very well, all things considered. But, you know, not as well as Sony probably think it could. And when you look at the install base of the PlayStation 4, over 110 million consoles... It does make sense. Why would you want to abandon that audience, right? I mean, obviously, not all 110 console, 110 million consoles are still out there. Some have been sold, some aren't working anymore, some just aren't used. Even though, even if you somehow magically half that entire number, you're still talking, what, 10 times more PlayStation 4s than PlayStation 5s out there? So from a business perspective, sure, I understand this. That's a huge audience. That's a lot of money you're leaving on the table. But again... When we go back to it, it was Sony themselves that were making a big deal about believing in console generations, about putting games out for the PS5 that you couldn't play on the PS4. And now it seems some of the biggest games, Horizon, God of War, and even Gran Turismo 7, are all going to be on the PS4 as well. So why did we buy a PlayStation 5? Obviously, Returnal was good. Ratchet & Clank is very exciting, but yeah, it's not really what I was expecting, and I don't think it's what a lot of other people were expecting. I was looking for more. It also raises some questions about Horizon God of War and GT7. Were these always intended to be PlayStation 4 games as well from the start? In which case, Sony were, frankly, not necessarily lying, but being somewhat deceitful. Somewhat cheeky, shall we say. If they weren't intended to be PlayStation 4 games from the start, is this why we're now seeing them potentially being delayed? Did Sony come along at some point and tell the studios, hey, we need these games to run on PlayStation 4 as well, because we're not going to get that many PS5s out into the wild, so we want to be able to scoop up some money from the PlayStation 4 owners as well. And now these developers are maybe having to retroactively shift their games to the older console. That's a lot of work. 
that takes extra development time that takes extra resources that takes new planning especially depending on what you're doing with the game if there's anything in that game that was taking advantage of something ps5 has that the ps4 doesn't you have to figure out workarounds and such so could this be why god of war has been pushed to 2022 is this why uh, the new horizon game might also be pushed back hmm there's a lot of questions there no matter what though i can't lie i'm a little bit disappointed I was looking forward to these being PlayStation 5 only games, and I know I'm speaking from a sense of entitlement. I have a PS5. I'm one of the lucky people who has one. Not everyone could get one. But I've also been in a seat where I've had older consoles while people are playing on the new ones, and I've never complained about the new consoles getting exclusives. That's how it works. That's fair. Those people want to play the best games they can. So yeah, a lot of questions there from Herman Hulse's interview. It's a shame to see Sony seemingly backtracking on what they've said previously even if I do somewhat understand it from the business perspective. Let me know, what do you think, what do you guys think about this? Are you a current PS4 owner that's happy to be able to play all these old, new upcoming games? Are you a PS5 owner who bought the console because you believed you'd be getting exclusives? Let me know anyway. We did, speaking of Horizon, get to see a little bit of gameplay as well. It looks gorgeous, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. Uh, not too much to say about this one except that we got to see a lot more climbing and verticality introduced. There's a new glider. That's pretty cool. The underwater sections look amazing. Uh, we're getting to face off against enemies riding the robots. That's awesome. Yeah, there's not a lot to say about this. Horizon has loads of potential. It was already a great game. The sequel's looking like it could be even better. I'm very excited by this one. Anyway, moving on to some more general news. We've had a few things happening this week. There was a big Sonic anniversary, his 30th anniversary. I have a fairly deep love for Sonic, even though I don't play it now. It was Sonic that made me play the absolute shit out of my Sega Genesis back in the day. Uh, I played 1 and 2 nearly every day, have to be. So, I know. It's got to be hundreds of hours across those two games. It has to be. Anyway, coming out of the anniversary show, we had a couple of announcements. The previously Wii-only game Sonic Colors is heading to PC, Xbox, and PlayStation. That's very cool. Sonic Colors was one of the better Sonic games in recent memories. A lot of people are going to be happy about that. And we also got news that a new Sonic game will be launching next year in 2022. Again, quite exciting. Sonic hasn't really been on his best foot lately. But, you know, it's always exciting to see a new game and hopefully they can bring the franchise back to the masses. Not too much more to say there about Sonic, so let's jump into a little bit more of possible Sony news which is that Uncharted 4 may also be heading to PC. This news came from a presentation for Sony's Investor Days. Now, in the document, Uncharted 4 appears under a slide that states, quote, more PC releases planned, and it appears alongside the recently released Days Gone, strongly suggesting that, yes, Uncharted 4 will be coming to PC at some point. The slide itself is labelled New Growth Factor by PlayStation Studios. Again, we already know they are pushing out into the PC market. And they've already said they do want to bring more games to PC. When it will come, we don't know yet, but Uncharted 4 seems to make sense. It's obviously an older exclusive now. It's not going to be selling anywhere near as many copies as it used to. So it's a good idea to shove that into the PC market and see how well it does. It does raise the question of when are we going to see the other Uncharted games? Why lead with Uncharted 4? My assumption is because it's the newest game and therefore probably the easiest to port over to PC hardware. But hopefully it means we will see the rest of the Uncharted trilogy arrive there as well, so that PC players can enjoy all four games. 
of course, what else are we going to get on PC? Herman Holtz did mention it a little bit in his interview that we talked about earlier. They're looking at individual games, essentially, and deciding when to put them on there. That he wanted to make it very clear that PlayStation is still going to be the place to be to play these games at launch. But, you know, what sort of time frame are we talking? It's hard to say. Days Gone, that was two years old. I think that makes sense, maybe for the smaller PlayStation exclusives, and then perhaps the bigger ones, such as Marvel Spider-Man and God of War. They can maybe even wait three or even four years before reaching the PC market. You know, I don't think you want to chuck them over too quickly. Because then you take away reasons again to actually own a PlayStation console. A lot of people won't mind waiting a couple of years. But three, four years, eh, a lot of people are just going to go, you know what, I think I'll just grab a PlayStation 4 or 5 and play them now. We're also seeing a bunch of Need for Speed games being delisted. Need for Speed Carbon, Need for Speed Undercover, Need for Speed Shift, Shift 2, Unleashed, and Need for Speed The Run are all being, quote, retired. According to EA, quote, the number of players has come to a point where it's no longer feasible to continue the work behind the scenes required to keep Need for Speed Carbon, Need for Speed Undercover, Need for Speed Shift, Need for Speed Shift 2 Unleashed, and Need for Speed The Run up and running. Obviously, that is somewhat of a lie. EA are publishing record profits right now, so they could easily continue to keep the servers up for these games. They could also opt to put the servers in the hands of fans. They could even release the source code for some of these really old games and just let players keep them going. They aren't going to do that. They're just going to shut it down. Obviously, it's disappointing for anybody that still plays those games. It's a downside of modern gaming, essentially, that when the servers shut down, that's pretty much it. The game's gone. And EA don't seem interested in releasing, for example, a patch that allows you to play the game purely offline. So the games just have to die. They have to go to the great video game graveyard in the sky, and that's disappointing. I really hope that developers, publishers, gamers, all of us can start thinking about this more in the future, about how to keep games being playable. Obviously, if it's a multiplayer-only game, it makes sense that, hey, you have to retire eventually unless you introduce bots. But for other games, like these Need for Speed games, they're perfectly playable offline, single player. So it'd be nice to have that option. Come on, guys. We're in danger of losing so many cool games down the line. Jumping over to some more stupidity, NVIDIA have announced and released, or are about to release, new graphics cards. You know, despite this fact that you still can't fucking get the old ones. They have announced the RTX 3070 Ti and the 3080 Ti, despite the market still being a complete shambles. They claim to have been stockpiling the chips that were slightly too good to be the regular 3070 and 3080, but not quite good enough to be the 3090 in order to make these new cards. So theoretically, they haven't taken away from the production power of the original 3070 and 3080 and 3090, but it's still frustrating for them to be pumping out new cards into a messed up market where you can't buy anything. I mean, I had a look just the other week because my dad's graphics card needs to be replaced so he can play some newer games. And uh, you can't get anything. It's not just the newest, most powerful cards. It's everything. Like, I couldn't find anything in stock anywhere from AMD or NVIDIA, old or new. And the second-hand market is just a complete disaster zone. Cards are selling for insane prices. Cards are selling for insane prices. So I just... I don't see the point of releasing more cards into this. You know, you have a problem with nobody being able to buy them. What is the point? The only thing I can think of is this purely for investors to keep them happy because customers sure as hell aren't going to get these things. Why NVIDIA? Why? I do not understand it. 
I think the focus should be on sorting out the current market. Although, I will attempt to argue devil's advocate here. My assumption is they can't do anything about the market. The shortages and no amount of pushing is really going to help that much, right? So if you can't do anything about sorting the supply, you might as well do something? So, you know, I don't blame them for designing new cards in the meantime and sort of pushing forward with their future plans. It's a tough situation, I guess, all around. I just, yeah, it's frustrating to see more cards being launched that people aren't going to be able to buy or that are going to become two, three times the price they're actually meant to be. A little bit more Sony-based news. There's a lot more Sony stuff, yes. Sony this year appeared to be in the news about every five minutes. This time, it's about Borderlands 3 crossplay. CEO, amateur magician, and all-round arsehole Randy Pitchford this week tweeted out that a patch to enable Borderlands 3 crossplay is coming soon. That's quite exciting news. Borderlands 3 is a great game, and I would love to be able to play it with friends from various other platforms. However, however, according to Randy Pitchford, Sony has said crossplay functionality must be removed from the patch on PlayStation. Now, Sony are currently the only platform that charges for crossplay. Both Microsoft and Nintendo allow crossplay without any issues, or at least none that we are aware of, and without any payment required, where Sony currently asks that they are paid for that benefit. As a business, I suppose you can understand their desire to be paid for features, and one could even argue that if you're feeling again devil's advocate, Microsoft and Nintendo are perhaps daft for not charging for it when they could. However, I think this is very much one of those cases where they need to allow it simply for the good of the communities. Crossplay is good for us gamers. It allows us to play with friends from across multiple platforms, to get together, to enjoy each of us company, regardless of what we choose to play on. And I think Sony need to shift their viewpoint on this. One could certainly argue that Randy Pitchford and his mob could simply pay Sony. I'm sure they could probably afford it. But I can understand them not doing this on principle. Why pay Sony for this privilege? Sony argue, well, no one has managed to show us any real benefit for PlayStation when it comes to crossplay. Why should we? Again, I think, well, this one isn't for your benefit. This is for your consumers. Let us have crossplay. You know, I have friends on PC and Xbox that play Borderlands. I play it on PC. I would love to be able to hook up with everybody. With this new patch, I'm going to be able to hook up with my Xbox friends. It's just going to leave my PlayStation ones out of the loop, which is a real shame. Continuing that Sony trend, Destruction All-Stars, the exclusive that was released not that long ago for free on PSN, is going to be getting bots to fill up the slots due to low player count. Despite it being free on PlayStation Network for pretty much everyone, All-Stars is clearly struggling. And that's because, well, it's not a great game. It was okay, but it never really had anything to hold players' attention that long. Although I did think about jumping back in due to a new character called Alba, who is Scottish, that they released. He's wearing armor, he's got blue, he looks really cool. Obviously, I'm a Scottish lad. That was kind of tempting, but I never bothered to jump back in. Uh, on the one hand, the online blots are a good way to help make the player count a bit higher. It's nice to help out the people who are still playing the game. Hopefully, they will enjoy having the bots there to make the matches feel more fleshed out. On the other hand, it's an obvious sign that the game is struggling, and I'm not sure what they're going to do to bring people back. The answer is, I think, nothing. I can't really think what they could do, although that's not my job and I'm probably nowhere near as smart as these people. Hopefully they can figure something out 
bring All-Stars back into the public's attention. If not, the game is going to die a slow death, which is a real shame as one of the few PlayStation 5 exclusives. It'd be nice if it could carry on. Next up, you might remember Crytek teasing a Crisis 2 remaster. Well, they've gone one further. They've announced the Crisis Remastered Trilogy package coming to consoles and PC this year. Now, each game will actually be available to buy separately, but you can also buy them as a complete package. I'm really excited for this. Uh, obviously, the original Crisis Remastered didn't do great. It had a lot of technical problems. It had a lot of performance problems. So I'm hoping they've learned from that and we can get really good versions of Crisis 2, a great game, and Crisis 3, again, a really good game. Also, I just recently found out that Crisis 2, the music, Hans Zimmer did that. That's amazing. How did I never know that? I remember thinking that the music was really good. I just didn't know Hans Zimmer was involved. Talk about getting some real punch for your game. I mean, I guess for a lot of people, Hans Zimmer maybe doesn't mean much, but uh, God, the amount of amazing soundtracks that man has been responsible for across the years. The amount of movie memories I have, largely because of his music. Jeez. I'm going to have to go back and replay Crisis 2 now, just for the music, or maybe see if I can find some snippets of the music. I really want to check that out and uh, appreciate Hans Zimmer a little bit more, you know? All right, let's start wrapping up this podcast with what's available for free this week. Or, sorry, should I say this month for you guys to enjoy and play? We're kicking off with an Epic Game Store freebie, which is Frostpunk. If you read my review for this game, you will know that I love it. It's a fantastic strategy game where you're managing a city in freezing environments, trying to manage not only gathering the resources you need, but also heating your city. That means needing a constant supply of coal. It means deciding when you're going to ramp that generator up. It means lots of cool moral decisions. Are you going to send children to work in mines? Are you going to start watering down the food? Are you even going to start using corpses as a means of sustenance? There's a lot of really cool decisions to be made in this game. A lot of cool gameplay mechanics. It also looks beautiful. And there is quite a few chunks of DLC for it out now. One of which I reviewed. A couple more which I want to go back and play because I really do love this game. So go ahead, pick this one up on the Epic Game Store. The developers deserve all the support they can. I'd rather you paid for it if you could. But hey, if you've not got the spare cash, go ahead, grab this one. I think you're going to have a great time. So, the PlayStation Network games for the month, if you have a PSN subscription. Easily the highlight of the month is Star Wars Squadrons, which is great fun, but it's even better if you have VR, or VR and a flight stick. Right, so this is a first-person Star Wars game where you're flying X-Wings, you're flying TIE Fighters, you're battling around doing missions, and if you have a VR headset and a flight stick, oh my god, this game is amazing. It is a proper fanboy geek out orgasm moment all right hurtling around the tie flyer being able to look around in vr feel the flight stick in your hand oh it's so good even if you don't have those two things though i think this is still absolutely worth grabbing i mean it's free so obviously it's worth grabbing but still it's worth putting the time into even with a controller it's good fun it's not the best game around um i think it got forgotten about a little quicker than i would have liked because the multiplayer is really good fun but at the same time, it wasn't trying to be this huge game with a multiplayer that was going to last years. I think, you know, if people just played it for a couple months, had fun, that's good enough too. And uh, with this being a freebie, the multiplayer should get a nice boost. So go ahead, grab that one, jump in. Next up is Virtua Fighter 5 Ultimate Showdown. This one was a bit of a surprise. It's a remaster of the old game and will be available 
in both June and July. Here's the quote from Sony's write-up. Sega's iconic one-on-one battler gets remade for a new generation by Yakuza and Judgment developer Ryuga Gotago Studio. This console exclusive debuts on PlayStation Plus, allowing both VF veterans and newcomers to experience the intense martial arts combat, deep strategy, and intricately balanced gameplay of the groundbreaking 3D fighter in stunning HD. New online features, like custom tournaments supporting up to 16 players and live spectating, join classic modes like Rank Match, Arcade, and BF5's famously robust training to deliver the definitive Virtua Fighter experience. End quote. I don't have a lot to say about this. I do remember playing some Virtua Fighter back in the day, but I can't remember which one it is. I don't know if it was 5. But still, this one's a pleasant surprise for anybody who enjoys the series. Uh, The remaster looks okay. I've seen a few screenshots. They've kept the sort of blocky style of the original, which looks a little bit strange now, but gameplay-wise, there's a lot of fans of Virtua Fighter, so I'm going to give this one a go and uh, see what it holds up like in 2021. Finally, the free PS5 game for the month is Operation Tango, another game that I know jack shit about. Quote, Team up to save the world in this cooperative spy adventure, challenging you and a friend to join up online to complete dangerous missions across the globe in a high-tech near-future world. Combine skill sets from different points of view, playing either hacker or agent, to overcome asymmetrical challenges, working in tandem with only your voice to link you. Teamwork is crucial, and communication is key. Note, Operation Tango requires both players to have access to a working microphone. It's a good thing, then, that the PlayStation 5 controller has a microphone built into it. As I said, I know nothing about this game, but it seems to be doing quite well so far. I saw some initial impressions. People seem to be enjoying it. Uh, If you're up for some co-op gameplay with a friend, then, hey, there's no reason not to grab this if you both have a PlayStation 5. It's free. Get in there. Argue. Argue about who's a better hacker or an agent. Blame your friend for all of your failings and shortcomings. You know, classic co-op stuff. That takes us on to Games with Gold, and it's another disappointing roster for Xbox. It seems the existence of Game Pass means they don't want to put too much effort into Games with Gold, and it shows. I know of all the games on this list, but I've only frankly played one of them, so let's kick off. First one up, The King's Bird, quote, In this award-winning artistic title, enjoy a seamless platform adventure with physics-based movement. Escape into a world kept secret by a tyrant and discover the truth about your freedom. Sounds interesting enough, I suppose. I should point out as well, Microsoft claimed that these games have a total value of $76. That's bullshit. (laughs) Maybe when they were all originally released years ago. But yeah, now they probably have a combined value of maybe $20. That'd be about it. Anyway, next game. Shadows Awakening. Quote, Take control of a demon summoned from the Shadow Realm to consume the souls of long-dead heroes. With a gripping storyline and challenging gameplay, find out who is in charge. The demon or the souls that it is devoured. Sounds kind of fun. Um, I briefly got caught up in the mention of the Shadow Realm there and my mind flashed back to Yu-Gi-Oh. Presumably it's nothing to do with that. Next game is Neo Geo Battle Coliseum. All the best fighters await you, with a host of original heroes and unique characters that transcend time. Unleash this tag team versus fighter with all your favourite Neo Geo warriors amassed under one roof. Not a lot to say about that one, doesn't sound that interesting to me. The final one is the one I actually know, and that's Injustice Gods Among Us. Not Gods Among Us 2, the original game. Quote, from the creators of Mortal Kombat, 
iconic characters from DC Comics such as Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and more clash together in epic battles. With a massive scale and a bold original storyline, see what happens when our greatest heroes become our greatest threat. End quote. I really actually do love the Injustice series. Specifically, Injustice 2 is a fantastic fighter. Injustice, Gods Among Us, pretty good. It shows the series' potential, but Injustice 2 was the one that really did it properly. Still, if you want to jump into the games, you could do worse than picking this one up. Enjoy the first game, and that'll set you up for the second one, story-wise at least. They do have a really enjoyable story, and it is fun to see the DC characters beating the crap out of each other. Of course, it's Nether Realm as well, so the fighting mechanics are solid. But yeah, I think uh, Injustice 2 would have made so much more sense in this one, but it's on Game Pass. So, you know, if you have Game Pass, go play that instead. It's even better. Anyway, I think that is about time to wrap up the podcast for this week. Pretty short one. I think as I'm recording this, we're only talking about 37 minutes. By the time I edit it down, it'll be a lot less once I remove all the whole humming and eyeing. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. As always, again, if you want to support the site, you can do so by visiting my website, hitting the support the site button, and donating what you wish. Every little bit seriously does help, guys. But if you don't fancy doing that, and you might be able to hear my dog barking in the background, if you don't fancy doing that, you don't want to spend money on me, which I can understand, I'm not a cheap date, then you can do other cool things to help me out. You can drop a comment on this podcast or on the website on any of the reviews. You can just visit the site. That massively helps. You know, you can share this stuff around with your friends. You can just send me a message. I like talking to people. There's so many ways you can help out. Or you can rate this podcast as well. So, take care guys, have fun, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Wolf Gaming Podcast. (laughs) 